0: God, around this planet to give you praise. as so live tribes, and languages, and tongues that we'll never know are here until we see you face to face, and now as our English joins them, and we join with thousands who down through the ages have given you praise, may you be glorified in everything we do this day. Thank you for the honor of gathering together for this place that you have provided, and the opportunity to do it together here as a family of God. We lay our praise, our offering before you, we recognize that everything we have has come from you, and so we acknowledge that by what we offer you this morning in these gifts and offering plates. Bless our time together this day be glorified in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The ushers are going to come down. Well, I give you a couple of brief announcements and then go right into the message this morning number of things going on, obviously you've seen a video clip from Ken Davis, one of the most enjoyable comedians I've ever been around or heard never imagining that we could have him here in our church that night, October the 1st, so make sure you take advantage of that, family fun night is coming up this week, kindergarten to 5th grade and today's the last sign up for that a cookout and a hayride, going to be phenomenal next Sunday morning, Duffy Robbins is going to be here, communicator from Eastern PA, one of the best communicators I've ever been around and specifically at talking about the subject of dealing with today's teens. Going to do that in a seminar in the afternoon from 1245 to 3. Open to everybody. Just come, enjoy it, and be a part of it, which means in this service you're going to have to go eat quick, come back, and be a part of it. You don't want to miss it. In the morning sermon, he's going to talk about a verse out of Psalms that said, Be still and know that I am God, which is a familiar verse, incredibly appropriate for the world of uncertainty in which we live. And he's going to be sharing that next Sunday morning. And you're going to want to make sure you're a part of that. Tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, is District Conference for Western PA Churches in the CNMA, Christian Missionary Alliance that we're a part of, here in our church. We're hosting it. So uh, you you stop by. We'd love to have you here. Evening services are Monday night and Tuesday night. Both start at 7. And again, you're welcome to come and join us and be a part of that. A lot of other things going on. Make sure you read your bulletin carefully so you don't miss out on anything. Two things right off this morning. One obvious. One may not so obvious. The obvious one is that we're going to sing a lot more at the end of the service than we did at the beginning. Which if you've been here before, or maybe for the very first time, you wonder how the worship set or the song set is so short this morning. We're going to lengthen it, but we're going to flip it around. It'll make sense in the context of the message. The second thing that's not so obvious is that we're going to do something here at Community Alliance today that we only do twice a year. We're going to end a series Takes a while, but you'll get there. (laughs) For the last 15 weeks, we've been talking, or at least since May 1st, we've been talking about Old Testament characters that I believe has as much to speak to us today about as when they were written. 15 characters from the Old Testament whose life and story is not just something you read about as if you're reading a history novel, but whose life and story and teaching and lessons and all of that have as much to teach us today as when they were written. When God talked to Moses, when he talked to David, when he talked to Abraham, when he talked to Joshua, and talked to them about their life and their journey and the things they wanted him to, he wanted them to learn, he's still speaking to us today. I love that note that I have in your bulletin this morning, and that is the Bible is not a history book. It is the living, breathing, still speaking word of God. It is not a history book. The living, breathing, still speaking word of God. I wanted to end the series as we've been for the last number of weeks with David. I love him for a number of reasons. He speaks to us, as you noticed last Sunday morning, from the depths and the heights of his relationship with God. I mean, life, as you heard last Sunday morning, for him was not going well. And not just for a day or a week or a month, years and years and years waiting to get to what God had promised him a long time ago the king over Israel. A funny thing happened on the way to the throne. Nothing that he thought would happen did, and nothing in his case was going right. But what I love about David, although many times he will start out with such honesty, and sometimes out of the depth of his soul, God, where are you? I mean, do you not know where I'm at? God, do you not know what I'm going through? I mean, do you see me where I'm at? And then in the middle of that psalm somewhere, he'll maybe go as deep as he possibly can and then come up out the other side and say, but God, I will ever give you praise. I'll give you glory. It's not what I thought. My enemies want to kill me. They seem to gloat over me when things aren't going well. But in the middle of all that, God, I'm going to give you praise. And what I love about David is in either extreme... When things are going as bad as they can or as high as they can be, he understands his relationship with God. And so I want to end with him this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. I encourage you to take them out. It's an incredible story. The children of Israel are celebrating the return of the ark. To To them it was that sacred thing that stood for the power and presence of God. It was their most sacred object. Wasn't superstition, wasn't something to bring them luck. They understood that it represented the promises, provision, and power of God. Their lives in their national history had not been going well. And now it seemed like everything is back on track. All of those years of struggle, all of those years of abandonment, now David's in charge and he's leading the charge. And they came out to celebrate. A number of years ago, we celebrated our 100th anniversary of this church here in its existence in Butler, Pennsylvania, and we rented a facility so that everybody at that time and all three services could be together. Nobody wanted to miss that moment. I'd love to do it again. We don't have a place in town that can accommodate all 1,500 of us, but that opportunity for the entire body to gather together. And when we talked about it, when we mentioned it, nobody wanted to miss that moment. That's what it's like for them. Nobody wanted to miss this event. This is the Ark of the Covenant. God's provision, God's presence coming back. And David is dancing before the Lord, it says, with all his might. He is leading the trail. He is leading the way. Always nervous every once in a while when I visit a when I don't see a pastor. And I want to be sensitive to saying this. But I don't see a pastor participating in the musical part of the singing and the celebration of what goes on only shows up to preach. I love love the fact that I can do this twice, that I can sing twice, that I can watch your face when you sing, I can enjoy the experience, I can be a part of it. I get to hear it three times because I come every once in a while just to listen to him practice. What I love about David is he's leading the charge, inviting everybody in says he danced with everything he had, spared no expense, used every single instrument possible. The people of Israel hadn't seen anything like this for a long time. You don't get any glimpses of it under Saul's reign. Certainly, he was more, much more interested in worrying about how people viewed him than what pleased God. The priests before him, the sons of Eli, only interested in themselves and looking religious than they were in pleasing God. And God was displeased with all of them. But he loves David. He calls David a man after my own heart. And your sermon knows as if to say, David gets it. David gets it. He knows what I want. He knows what I expect. And he is consumed with giving me praise. After all that God had done for him, David wants God to know. Visibly know. Not just hear about it, but visually see. I cannot wait to get into your presence, Almighty God. I I want you to recognize how excited I am. That's why it says he danced with all of his might. I want you to recognize, God, how excited I am to be in your presence. I love being together. And remember, David's life wasn't a picnic. We saw last Sunday morning he'd gone through really deep waters for an extended period of time. But for David in your notes, it was equally important, I think even a little more important, to not only give God praise for who he was and what he had done but to do it when things go well and even when they don't for some it's a little bit easier to give God praise when things are going well david wanted god to know how much i love who you are and what you've done and not just what you've done but who you are when things are going well and when they don't in 2 samuel chapter 6 there's that ark coming in and uh, a man by the name of Uzzah, U-Z-Z-A-H, lost his life. The ark began to shake. They were bringing it in. He reached out to touch it and died immediately. It's one of those, whoa, God, that's a pretty intense reaction to this moment. It's almost like in the New Testament, Peter is preaching and the church is growing in phenomenal ways. People are coming and bringing their offerings in and there's a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira and They made a a kind of a pretense that they were giving all their money and really they'd sold some land and bringing it all in, laying it before God so that everybody could see what a generous gift they gave. And and Peter confronts that. It was yours. Could have done what you wanted. But why are you making everybody believe that you're doing something you're not? And they died. I mean, right in the spot, right in the middle of the offering. often wonder, what was the next Sunday like when they took the offering? Did you ever wonder what that was like? They don't mention it at all. What was it like the very next Sunday when they took an offering? All of a sudden, everybody goes, boy, I'm giving. I'm telling you. Yep, this really is true. This represents what I've gotten. Uzzah just dies in a moment. David's frightened, and rightfully so. The holiness of God is something you just do not take lightly. Max Licato, in his book, Facing the Giants, writes about this particular event. He said, Uzzah's tragedy teaches us that God comes on his own terms. He gave very specific instructions as to the care and transport of the ark. Only the priest could draw near it, and only after they had offered sacrifices for themselves and their family. The ark could be lifted, but not with hands, with poles. They ran poles through the rings, and they carried it in each corner. Uzzah should have known this, he said. He was a priest, a descendant of Aaron himself. The ark had been kept in his father's house. He had grown up with it, which, he goes on to say, may be the best explanation for his actions. Maybe, just maybe, it had become too familiar. And maybe he was taking God's glory and power for granted. God is angered, news that dies. On a trip to Israel at one point, Lakato asked his driver who picked him up at the airport and was driving him to Jerusalem, and they passed that place where Uzzah had been slain. And he said, why did you think God did that? And he was asking of it of a guy who grew up in Jerusalem, studied at a Jewish seminary, and still lived there. The question, his driver responded, is not why did God kill Uzzah, but rather, why does he let us live? The message... Don't grow lax around the holy. Do not take God's glory and presence for granted or lightly. So a question, obviously, needs to be asked when we come together as God's people on a Sunday morning. How do we prepare? How do we come into the presence of Almighty God? David, in this case, you'll notice in Scripture a corresponding whole section from 1 Chronicles chapter 10 or 11 all the way to 15, 16, 17. It's see as if David did his homework. He understood that God wanted certain things. God expected certain things. And he wanted to make sure he did his research and made sure that what he was doing was pleasing to Almighty God. Every Sunday we gather together to give God glory and praise. I know we can do that a number of different ways on our own, in a number of different places. I hear it all the time. Man, I was praising God on the golf course. I'll bet. (laughs) I was praising God in a tree stand. I would love to have been there to watch. We can do it in a number of different places, I know, but there's something about the Sunday morning gathering of God's people that, when we gather together corporately that it's just different than any other singular setting. And like David, I feel the responsibility of making sure that we clearly understand what it is that we're doing and more than anything that God is pleased with what we do. There are other churches who do it differently than we do. There may be even some here who wish we did it differently than what we do. There are a lot of churches that offer different styles and different ways, and I understand that. But we as a leadership team and elder board for years have discussed this subject and feel this is what God is calling us to do here at Community Alliance and the way we celebrate. So as I walk through that this morning, I wanted to share just a few things in your sermon notes this morning about preparing ourselves as we come into the presence of Almighty God, to help us better clearly understand why we do what we do and, more importantly, how to prepare ourselves for this moment together as a family of God. One is, obviously, you've got to recognize who we're praising. We've got to recognize and know who we're praising. And I'm not talking about that superficial no when you know of someone's existence, but that intimate no. First time we ever see the word, it's in Genesis when it says Adam to Eve. Certainly more than Adam saying, Eve, yeah, I think I've seen her in a garden somewhere. Man, I'm just amazing. I mean, I went to sleep one night, all of a sudden I woke up, there she was beside me. Every single guy's dream, right? <laughs> I'm talking about that intimate know where I know all about her, she knows all about me. For genuine worship to take place, it's got to be the same with God. Many say, sure, I know God. It's not just enough to say I believe in God. James said, look... You say you believe in God, that's awesome, but even the demons believe that. There's got to be more to it than that. I'm talking about going way beyond that, limited parameters of knowing God, but to fall in love with God. And once you do, coming into his presence for worship will take on a whole new meaning. When it's more than just simply a cognitive awareness that God exists, and I know there's a God out there somewhere, but the God of the universe who loved me and died for me and carries me along in every step of my life the God that I am more in love with than anything else on this planet, and I get to come together with the family of God on a Sunday morning and give that God praise, man, I'm coming. I'm going to be here for that. God's greatest gift is himself, and David knew that. He knew that God wouldn't leave him alone. No matter what he was facing, God wouldn't leave him alone in his fears, in his worries, in his sickness, and in his joy. God is with us, and that is reason to celebrate. And he is with us in every aspect of our life and our journey. I've been doing this for almost 40 years, and I'm still blown away that when I stand here and pray or talk about coming together as a family of God or I open up in prayer, that the God of the universe is here. Isn't there something about that that blows you away? The God of the universe is here says he dwells in the praise of his people. It's a God who created what you and I enjoy every single day, and how can you not enjoy this weekend that God has blessed us with, is here, right here in our midst, who loved us enough to send his only son to die on a cross and give us grace and forgiveness and the opportunity to wipe our slate clean and start all over again, who invites us into a relationship with him. That God invites us into an opportunity to give him praise. And David understood that. Second ingredient is recognizing what God has done. They both go together. David was constantly rehearsing what God had done. He learned that from Moses, I believe. When God took the people of Israel out of the journey that they were on, or on the journey they were on, out of Egypt into the bondage, or from the bondage, and all the things that went with that, and sent them, he said, i I got something that will blow your mind. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. You won't believe how incredible it is. And I've been there, and it is breathtaking. But he said, I'll be honest with you. I've got a fear, is that you're going to get there, and you're going to forget what I've done. fascinates me when we celebrate communion, and we do it here once a month. Jesus said, every time you do this, I want you to remember me. And I'm thinking, how could I forget? You died on the cross for my sins. I know it. I understand it. I read it in the Word of God. How could I ever forget that? Something he knew would happen. So he said, every time you do it, once a week, once a month, once a year, it doesn't matter when. We get hung up on the when in some churches. It's not about that. He just said, every time you do it, whenever you do it, remember me. There's a couple of reasons that I think David was doing it in your sermon notes this morning. If we're not careful, every once in a while, we'll think that what we have is ours. And everything we've gotten, we've gotten on our own. That's a pretty dangerous position to be in. Every, the very breath that you just took in, and exhaled from is a gift from God. That's why we sang this morning every breath that I breathe. We some, so often think of the musical aspect, or we call it worship, we're gonna do worship and then a word, and I get all that. The whole thing, though, is a worship experience. When you gave your offering, that was a worship experience. You recognize that everything you had and have has been given to you by God. And out of obedience, you give back a portion of that, 10%, a certain amount that you and God have agreed on. The New Testament talks a lot about that. In an awareness that in this worship experience of taking my hands off and placing it before God, I recognize there's nothing I have that I've done on my own. It's all from you. And I just want to acknowledge that gift from you. That's worship. The other reason is that if we're not careful, sometimes if we haven't seen God do anything lately, we'll maybe forget what he has done. We kind of get into a meism kind of worship. When I feel good or I've seen God do something for me, then I praise. And if I haven't, then I go through the motions, sing the song, but it's not really coming from deep within my soul. When you read the Psalms, you can't help but notice that David over and over and over rehearses the blessings and provisions of God. Because if we're not careful, we'll forget. Third necessary ingredient, I think, is freedom or openness. A true worship experience can be a tremendously refreshing time. A time where I can let go of my burdens, where I can lay them all at the feet of Jesus. Can you do that privately? Absolutely. There's something unique about gathering together and just being a part of the celebration service. When I hear others singing, and every once in a while I stop so that I can hear you sing. Now, if we all did that, it would be silence, and I get that. But I'll stop every once in a while and just listen to you sing, and then I'll pray and God knows something maybe I've carried in with me this week or something I'm dealing with or something I've got to deal with and I'll just stop and praise and I'll, in the middle of that, hear you singing or this group here singing and there's just something wonderful about that moment when during that time I can lay it at his feet. Worship is intended to be a time when I can express my heart and my soul to God. Can I do that privately? Absolutely. But doing it publicly can be incredible another necessary ingredient of course is music sadly enough the very thing that God created as a medium to express our gratitude and praise has been a source of controversy for probably 30 40 years between choruses and hymns and all that debate that has gone on forever acting as if God hasn't spoken to anybody since Fanny Crosby it's just not true There's a lot of wonderful, wonderful writers and communicators in music that God has used down through the ages. I grew up with Keith Green, one of the greatest ballad writers ever, ever. The opportunity to put music and words together and then comes along Mark Schultz who does the same thing and Stephen Curtis Chapman who could just continue to reinvent himself and share and, oh man, I love music. Last Sunday morning with Even If and Brad's doing Uh, Oh, My Soul. I mean, those two that are just recently released in the last couple of years are as powerful to me as any song I've ever sung, even how great thou art song. Both are wonderful. Hymns, choruses. God says time after time in the scripture, sing a new song. Ephesians says, speak to one another. When you're filled with the spirit, it's just going to come out. It'll come out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all to give thanks and praise to God. Both styles are wonderful if we only understand that it's not about style or preference or type of song, but an opportunity in all of this to give praise and adoration to God. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you to the full, and many times when we're so full, it just spills out and spills over in praise. professor friend of mine said one time, you know, we get hung up on on forms and rituals, but none of them really produce worship. We can have all the right techniques and all the right methods and the best possible liturgy. But we haven't really worshipped God until His Spirit touches ours and ours touches His. Singing, praying, praising all lead to worship, but in and of themselves they're not. We get overly concerned with the question of style and scripted or free spirit, traditional and contemporary. Nowhere in the New Testament does it prescribe a particular form of worship. In fact, he said, we find an amazing amount of freedom for people who have such deep roots in the synagogue. I'm not saying they're secondary. I'm just saying if we're not careful, we get hung up on the wrong things. Fifth ingredient, our whole self. In Mark chapter 12, and Mark's the one that says it out as as well as anybody, he said, look, these are the greatest commandments. Clearly understand, hear Israel. The Lord our God is one. And I want you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I want every aspect of your being to be involved. Not just your lips, not just your mind, not just your ability or your lack of ability. I want every part of you to be involved. Your mind has to be involved so we don't get distracted. Our voice needs to be involved. Whether you sing or not doesn't matter. 41 Psalms command us to sing to the Lord. My body needs to be involved. In Hebrew, the word worship means to fall on our face before Almighty God. The word thanksgiving is the extension of the hands. And so when I do this or a lot of other people do this, it's not, it has anything to do with our theological background. It just means I want to give you praise. I understand what it means. I understand what it looks like. And I'm going to give it to you today. Sometimes your hands just can't stay down. They can't just stay in your pockets. They just want to come out. Sometimes you just want to move around, girl. And I love when you do that. There's a whole part of me that wants to be involved. Now, I get it. We all have different temperaments. I totally understand that. But if we're not careful, sometimes our reserved temperament is more a fear of what we think others are thinking of us than our encouragement just to respond. And the question really isn't what meets my need. The question is, what does God like? And it's pretty clear from Scripture that what He wants is whole hearted, all of me worship. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 15, there... They're singing, they're honoring me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The lips are moving, but they're, they're moving, but their hearts aren't in it. The final ingredient is preparation. What I love about David is, man, he does his homework. He clearly wants to make sure that he is ready all the way through the Old Testament and preparing themselves and the priests preparing themselves to carry the ark, whatever that may be, to do it really, really well. To know that when I come into the presence of Almighty God, there's that holy expectancy. I want to make sure that I understand clearly that God dwells in the praise of His people and of God showing up. Man, I want to give Him my best. I want to sing with everything I've got. I want to do it with all I have. To get there, got to do a couple of things in your notes. Practice the presence of God daily. See Him everything, in everything, everywhere you go. I mean, you, you couldn't help but enjoy this weekend and get up in the morning and say, wow, God, this is amazing. I had an opportunity. I said to my wife about 1.30 yesterday afternoon, I said, I'll be back in an hour or so, jumped on a Harley and just took off up 28, beautiful ride up to, toward uh, New Bethlehem. And it's just incredible. I'm seeing the leaves already turning. And, and, I mean, at every turn you're going, God, this is amazing. This is incredible. And it kind of gets you in the mood to recognize, wow, okay, tomorrow morning I get together with the people that I love and we're going to sing about the goodness of God and the greatness of God. What does or doesn't happen here on Sunday morning is not always a result of how how well the musicians do or how well prepared they are. I know Dave well enough to know they'll be really well prepared. But it's not always about how well the musicians do or how well prepared they are, but how well prepared you are. They'll be prepared, trust me. And I'll be prepared. I'll do my best. I'll spend uh, an amazing amount of time making sure that I clearly communicate what I feel God wants me to do. But a lot of times, it's a result of how well prepared you are when you come, not just how well prepared we are. To do that, you got to prepare on Saturday night and Sunday morning on your way here. Now, I I know, I remember raising kids on a Sunday morning and and trying to get them out. You wore that, you're wearing that to church. Are you, what time did you get in? What time? I don't care what time you got in. You're going to church. You know, the arguments are incredible, and I understand that. And Sometimes your Sunday morning experience when you get here isn't always uh, roses and sunshine. And then all of a sudden you walk into the presence of God, and somebody says, "How you do? Oh, we're doing great, man. Love my kids. <laughs> I love Jesus. They love Jesus. They love me. I'm the best parent. I'm their favorite parent, you know. And I listen to Ken Davis, and I'm going, that is exactly right. But sometimes to really get everything out of it we can, we need to make sure that I recognize on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning I'm away here, that I'm going to come into the presence of Almighty God. I want to make sure I'm ready for that. Which leads to number three. You've got to be here earlier, at least on time, to be able to do that. I, I do a lot of weddings, uh, a lot of weddings, done over 200, and I think I'm on 230 now coming up. and. The thing that intrigues me the most about a wedding is that last two or three or five people that come in as the bride is coming down the aisle, as if they didn't know the time of the wedding. You know, there are times that I'm preparing for the wedding, and, and, and we're in the back, we're ready to go, and I met the bride, and got the groom, we're everybody ready to go, it's that time, three o'clock, whatever it may be, and, and so we got to wait for Aunt Susie, we got to wait for John, whatever that may be, and I'm saying, did they not get an invitation? Oh, yeah, did you have a time on the invitation? I did. Well, then they should be here. Now, that's me. And I get, but man, I can't, you can't imagine the time I look down that and there's still people walking in. That's a wedding. Man, on a Sunday morning, you and I are gathering together in the presence of Almighty God. Just running in or rushing in. Hurry up, sit down. Maybe not prepare you as well as you need. Dave does a, a tremendous job of putting that worship video together right before the service starts a minute or two before it starts and it really helps get us centered into what it is that we want to do on a particular day or how to prepare our hearts for what God might want to say to us or we want to say to God and it's an opportunity to do that I totally get it your life is crazy and and I totally understand that but sometimes it's an opportunity for you to come and Maybe get centered for a moment or maybe pray for that empty seat or the person that's going to sit in front of you or behind you or you look around and see a sad face. God, I don't know what they're going through, but I'm just going to lay them at your feet right now. They just look like they're really overwhelmed with life. God, that's a brand new mom. Man, I hope she enjoys this experience. God, there's an empty seat in front of me. I wonder who I could invite. Is there any chance God that you can oh yeah, he's, he's saying, yeah, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> Is there any chance maybe through the week that I could meet that person somewhere along the way, or maybe I'll have the courage to call them up and say, hey, we've got a few empty seats here on a Sunday morning, especially at 1045. You could park a bus in some of these holes. Um maybe. It's an opportunity for us to do that and to share them. Number four, don't let distractions rob you. You know, the old, did you see who's here? And don't let kids fuss and bother you. They don't bother me. Do they not know we have a nursery? <laughs> I heard John Maxwell one time in the middle of a sermon on a Sunday morning in a very large church said decisions and children ought to be carried out immediately. <laughs> that family's not coming back. I think sometimes we hear kids fussing. We at least know somebody in the audience is alive, and that's it's a good thing. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to let all the distractions and what I'm going to do today and what I'm going to do tomorrow and what I'm going to have for lunch and just kind of set it all aside and just incredibly enjoy the experience. Got to let go of our agenda, whatever that may look like. I wish they did it differently. I don't like this. What are you thinking? Whatever it may be, just letting go of our agenda and trying to encompass God's. What does he want to say to me? What can I say to him? Um, and finally, number six, determine to be obedient to what you hear. Determine to be obedient to what you hear. To stand before the God of the universe and not be willing to listen to what he has to say is a dangerous position to be in. To stand and give praise and adoration to the God of the universe who is just having a time of celebrating and listening and enjoying and experiencing and not just get connected to that moment and kind of determine, God, whatever you say, I want to listen to. So help my ears to be open uh, to what Dan has to say or any other communicator up front, what Duffy has to, whatever that may be, help me hear that really, really well. Now, you'll put the sermon notes in your bulletin. And you come in next Sunday morning probably wondering what it is we're going to talk about today, and maybe forget the 6, 8, 10 things we talked about today. But I am saying if indeed you incorporate some of this or a lot of this or maybe all of this into your lifestyle, it will make this Sunday morning experience when we gather together as a family of God just a little bit different. And I'm pretty sure that you'll like it a lot more. We understand what it is that God wants, what he expects, what he likes. And that's what I want to do. God, we thank you for your love and grace and for the things you teach us, for David and his ability to be able to clearly understand and communicate what it is that you look for, what you want, what you want from us. And your word does that all the way through. And so as we now close with singing and celebration, help us not to be preoccupied to think we got to do it the right way, just to enjoy this time together as a family to sing and to celebrate your goodness and your grace and to enjoy every aspect of what it is that we do in these moments together until we see you face to face and join with thousands and millions around the globe when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and we'll hear it coming from every tribe and every language and every tongue until then be pleased with what we do